the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow underway on this Friday edition. We made it. I'm applauding Friday, Hutton. You just say the next, word Friday and I start applauding. Next three hours, we're going to get you to the weekend. I'm a monkey over here. You say Friday, I start applauding. That's, right. what the, that's what our audience is doing right now. They're applauding. They're ready for the weekend. I'm ready for the weekend. Let's let's close strong, shall we? Absolutely. We'll, we'll do that over the next three hours. We've got uh, uh, Brett McMurphy from uh, Action Network, college football insider, uh, who will help us break down the biggest topics in college football, which, of course, centers around what's going on with the Pac-12 now that everything's official. Colorado is headed to the Big 12 in 2024. Details coming up there. Plus, the gun show. Mike Gunzelman in studio with us from Outkick.com. That will be in the final hour on this Friday. If you're uh, watching live on YouTube, we'll hope you'll certainly subscribe. You can join Chad in the chat. Pound that like button, thumbs up for us. And of course, uh, just let everyone know we're live each and every weekday uh, in the afternoon starting at 3 o'clock Eastern. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. And I'm uh, reiterating to everyone in the YouTube chat right now to smash that like button. So hopefully they'll do so. Speaking of, uh, well, we, our top headlines are Scorched Earth each and every day here on Hot Mike. Scorched Earth, that has to be the feeling now that Colorado is official to the Big 12 and what it means for the Pac-12, Chad. Everything's signed, still delivered. We've seen the quotes. The best quote coming from Commissioner of the Big 12, Brett Yormark, who in Michael Jordan-esque uh, fashion just says, quote, they're back in a press release from the conference. Colorado back to where they were, and now the Pac-12 is acting like they're open for expansion. They have a plan. They have a media rights deal that they're going to unveil, and that's going to be on par with the Big 12 or the ACC. We've heard all that. And now the, the silence from many of the other schools uh, within their conference, and uh, some of said that they're going to back the pack. But Colorado, Chad, if I'm, I'm thinking if you if you can't keep them in the mix, how do the how does the Pac-12 actually expect to keep their biggest brands in the mix? It's a bigger topic that we can dive into. This is a no-brainer for the Big 12 and would it have been a no-brainer without Deion Sanders there? It still fits. You still get the Denver market and you get a, a representative who certainly represented well while they were in the Big 12 to begin with, I still think it's absolutely a possibility. Uh, just like Arizona, uh, Arizona State, not on the map for football right now, but they're being vetted. UConn football, not on the map for, for uh, their program. They're, they've been vetted for the Big 12. Colorado would still be there, but this puts it over the top based on where we're headed with primetime. I'm going to get into this a little bit deeper later in the show, but the Pac-12 had the opportunity to prevent all of this and to put themselves at the forefront of the future of college sports and what we all know is going to eventually happen. And they didn't. And while that statement from the Big 12 of their back was brilliant and I loved it and it was powerful and it was a statement of victory, whatever the hell George Klyavikov put out last night about how academically minded they are and world-leading universities and every Sparta's blah, 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 blah. Nobody cares, dude. Nope. Nobody cares. You were you you getting raided. You lost one program. Now the only question is, who does the Big 12 want next? Is it one of the four-corner schools, the four-corner states? 
Is it Oregon and Washington, which would be a death blow to your conference? This is awful news for the Pac-12. And the worst part of this is that Colorado and others have heard whatever it is that George Klyavikov was selling on a media rights deal, and they said, thanks, but no thanks. Specifically, and this jumped out to me, in the statement from Colorado's president about why this was important, quote, a relationship with both Fox and ESPN were important to us, which we knew was not going to happen in the Pac-12, and tells you that whatever he's talking, he's talking about right now, Klyavikov, and whoever he's negotiating with was not something that was seen as even close to what Colorado could guarantee themselves in the Big 12. That's bad news. But if Colorado realizes that, so does everyone else. They should. I, I mean, Oregon certainly has to be viewing it that way. Washington as well. They're waiting. It's, it feels like they're waiting on the Big Ten, or are they? Because they were wait, they've been waiting on the media rights deal on whatever's going to happen moving forward with the Pac-12. And now you, you look around for expansion, and we can discuss those options a bit later in the show chat. But, I mean, you look to the Mountain West, right? I mean, that's, that's the direction you go if you're the Pac-12. But that's not – I mean, how do, you, how do you keep yourself in the mix the way the Big 12 did? And, look, there are – I think that the rest of the programs that are left, maybe not at Utah who hasn't been around the Pac-12 for that long – they're but a, loyalist, but a lot though, of those institutions 12. have been around for yeah. generations. Yes. In the, the pack, what was the Pac-8, and then the Pac-10, and then now the Pac-12. So they're looking for any reason to hang on and not leave. Colorado wasn't one of those programs. They, their fans feel more of an affinity for the, the old Big 8 and now the Big 12 than they do the Pac-12, so it was an easy decision for them. It will be a difficult decision for whoever leaves next. I, I don't want to make it – something small and a no-brainer and, oh, they're definitely going to leave for the Big 12. But what Colorado is saying is, from a future stability financial standpoint, it is a no-brainer for us right now. May not be a no-brainer for everyone because of the loyalty to those rivalries and the loyalty to that conference, but it's clearly the better business decision. So now who is going to be the next to claim that and say it's a better business decision? My vote is Utah as the one that makes the most sense to go ahead and move because now they'll have BYU within their new conference also. We'll see if they're thinking the same way. But if I am given the hard sales pitch right now, if I'm Brett Yormark in the Big 12, I'm doing so with, with the Utes of Utah. And, and uh, reports are that he uh, Yormark wants UConn because he's from that area and he wants the New York market of what UConn would bring UConn is also thinking about the future of their media rights deal and their current conference and where it's headed if realignment continues to happen even on that level. Uh, meanwhile, if you're the Big 12, why don't you add three more instead of just one? Because you can get an Oregon, a Washington, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State before more realignment happens and others grab up certain programs that you would have your first choice over. It's, it's a fascinating time. And it's hard to believe two years ago, the Big 12 was viewed as we see the Pac-12 today, which is dead to rights when Texas and Oklahoma bolted. And it was the same feeling when USC and UCLA were headed to the Big 10 starting next year. Chad, it's one guy stepped up, one new commissioner stepped up and led, and Klavikov took over a bigger mess. But it's a mess right now based on the seemingly 
no path, no direction, and no foresight to see this was coming, even though everyone was talking about Colorado leaving. And one final note on this. It was, what, three, four months ago? Davey will probably remember as well. The CW was thrown out there as a possibility for Pac-12. CW today has announced that they have come to a long-term agreement with NASCAR starting in 2025. All 33 races, practices, qualifying will be on the CW. And I, I can't help but view that and think about the options that the Pac-12 had or would have had and, and wonder where the money was versus what NASCAR means as well over free television, more or less, instead of the streaming services. And what the Pac-12 realistically is thinking now versus what they thought when they were flirting with the CW, but not really. Maybe I just, maybe they wanted both, but maybe not. I mean, I, call me crazy. I think Apple TV is a better option than CW. So well, if that if that's what we're talking about with, it, it, but that's just me. I mean, that's my personal preference of where I'd go before the CW. But clearly, linear television still has a lot of value. I mean, that's what Colorado's saying. That's what every other conference is saying. They don't want all of their games moving to streaming outside of maybe two football games a week during the season, but that's what it looks like is happening with the Pac-12. Davey, what do you have? Well, I do want to add, so that deal with NASCAR and the CW is just for the Xfinity Series, so it's not for the Cup Series. So it's the level down from where you'll see the biggest drivers racing. But I think that's but, but, seven years, $150 million. But they race million on Saturdays, correct? Xfinity does, yes. And that's on CW. Yes. I, I was just saying from a NASCAR standpoint, the fact that they did that for the lower level uh, racing is still pretty – I'm surprised that they were willing to spend that much. Yeah, I mean, but – do you want football, college football, or, or the second tier of what NASCAR was providing? Again, and NASCAR's doing everything in-house now. Uh, yeah, it, I'd it's rather It's a very have, interesting uh, stance that... I'd rather have college football, but me, I'm me a college too. football no, fan. No, me too. So, you know, but it's... It, but that tells what's me... What's the better business decision? I don't know. But that tells me that the Pac-12 really wasn't interested based on whatever they had planned, and we still don't know. Chad, uh, great news for the Bengals... For the NFL in general, Joe Burrow, uh, a, a strained calf. We had Dr. David Chow, pro football doc, on yesterday and discussed this. And, and he said, you know, if in fact it's a strained calf, he's going to miss the, the preseason, but he more, more, more than likely will be ready for week one. Um, this is the best case scenario based on the video that we saw where, I mean, worst case would be today, Trevor Simeon would be the starting quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. That's not the case as they head into a, a big year for Joe Burrow and a huge contract extension that's still to come. Dr. David Chow is almost batting a 1,000 when it comes to immediately diagnosing what the issue is just by film yeah. and seeing the injury because he came on with us yesterday and said right away, uh, calf strain, right? And that's exactly what it turns out to be. Really good news but just going back to our interview with Dr. Chow, the one thing that I would caution ab- about with NFL fans, not just Cincinnati fans, these things can linger. That's what he said. This is one that while he's not going to miss a game to start the season, it's something that can continue to be an irritant, can pop back up at any time, and could cause him to miss time within a game or one week during the year. So... That's what you monitor right now, but good news that it's nothing that requires surgery, which Hutton is not the case 
across the league with star players. Uh, great tweet, by the way, from the Bengals. Uh, everyone, please stop calling and offering us your calf muscles. It doesn't work like that. Joey will be back. Calf uh, transplant is, <laughs> is real. Calf implants are real. I don't know about calf transplant. Hopes and dreams crash, though, if your star quarterback among the elite goes down for the year on day two of practice, rolling out to his, his right, throwing against air, you know. Jalen Ramsey, meanwhile, good news for him as well, all things considered, went down with a knee injury, was carted off, uh, is not a torn ACL, but he is going to have knee surgery. The ACL is intact. That's great news because Mike McDaniel, head coach of the Dolphins, says that they expect him back midway through the season. And I think the initial report was six to eight weeks. And that's big for the Dolphins because they acquire him via trade from the Rams. They will pair him up with Xavier Howard whenever he's back. And he's known as that star player, the, the quote-unquote star defensive player where he moves around and can match up well. They have drafted Chad. If he were if right now, they're going to have to plan without him. Cam Smith from South Carolina, they drafted him in the second round. They went through a ton of secondary injuries last season, and they have tried to bolster that through free agency via trade here and then through the draft using a second-round pick on Cam Smith, who uh, will not be on uh, anything mic'd up. We can safely say that based on our conversation with him uh, at the Super Bowl. Well, he may be mic'd up. There's just going to be a lot of profanity being said based on what he said post-game uh, one time that we asked him about that uh, he's n not a man of a lot of words after we interviewed him. <laughs> we can say that. Um, he's not going to be giving any dissertations to the league anytime soon. But maybe he'll get mic'd up for something entertaining he says during the game. That Dolphins secondary with Ramsey may be the best in the NFL. So that is, a, that is a huge blow. It's good. It's not season-ending, but that's a huge blow at least in the beginning. Yep. Great news for Bronny James, released from the hospital yesterday. He is home with his family. Uh, the 18-year-old uh, at USC, they're doing some workouts prior to a trip that they're taking to Greece uh, for uh, their, their basketball program and collapsed with a, a cardiac arrest. Had to be rushed to the hospital. And he was in ICU for a period of time. Uh, then he was in stable condition, and now he's home. And LeBron, LeBron James tweeted, everyone doing great. We have our family together, safe and healthy. We feel your love. We have more to say when we're ready, but I want to tell everyone how much your support has meant to all of us. This is great. And, and they had this issue with their, their freshman center last year. He came back and ended up playing in 14 games. You've got DeMar Hamlin with the Bills, who recovered much faster than what it looked like he was going to as he was laying on the turf in Cincinnati on that Monday night. So here's hoping that Bronny can get back on the court and that everything goes well. Well, look, there's no doubt LeBron is concerned about what exactly happened, his being a parent, both, both parents, his entire family. So he said there will be more to be said. So I'm sure they're looking into the cause of whatever happened with a cardiac arrest, and it sounds like LeBron James is going to maybe communicate that what happened. Um, we still don't know with DeMar Hamlin for sure. I don't think anybody from DeMar Hamlin's camp has come out and said it. Um, Jamie Foxx. Still don't know. He came out and posted a message saying he's ready to work and he's getting back to work, but don't know what happened with his uh, health issues. So that kind of falls in line with not a lot of info being shared on some of these uh, erratic health problems that we've seen, the catastrophic health issues out there that have been in the spotlight lately. So maybe we'll find out exactly what happened with Bronny James. But in the meantime, here's to being thankful that 
he is okay, and he's back with his family and has been released from the hospital. So that's the good news of all this. And, Chad, as we uh, head to break before discussing super conferences and one Power 5 coach uh, who believes we're headed that way after we've all been discussing this for quite some time, Ian Rappaport with the breaking news on Ramsey. During the surgery this morning, they went ahead based on everything that they saw and went through with a full meniscus repair this morning, knocking him out until December. So it's lengthened the recovery time by about a month and a half based on what Mike Not McDaniel good. said earlier. Stay tuned. We discuss uh, where we're headed with college football and why we won't admit it. Sixth and Peabody, our location. Jam-packed today. Headed into the weekend. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network. We're with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine here in the, uh, the facility that also houses the Outkick Studios. Chad, the uh, chat will be hopping. You're in the middle of this, right, on YouTube? I've been thrilled with our chatters over the past couple weeks. They've been getting after it. They've been getting after each other. They've been getting after me. I love it. We tear into each other, but we break each other down, Hutton. It's much like the Marine Corps. We break each other down. It's like boot camp, and then we build each other back up by the end of the show. So like, it's a full circle. And then we tear each other back down again by the end of it. Kind it's of great. what some coaches are doing uh, with NIL and the transfer portal and then what others are not doing uh, by embracing it. Kyle Whittingham, he shared his thoughts on the future of, of college football and realignment and where they're headed as uh, NCAA in, in Division One. Chad, it's nothing uh, new to us and what we've been discussing here on the show as far as super conferences go. Uh, but the Utah head coach said that he believes that there are going to be massive changes in super conferences, and it's not going to be in, in the far distant future. It's going to be very soon. Quote, it's going to be unrecognizable from what it is now. And then eventually he believes that the super conferences will split off from the NCAA and govern themselves. This is where we're headed, and the question is, who's leading the charge, and why is it all, it's not already happening? And I, I, I'm assuming that's the case because the positioning is taking place now. The Big 12, they stayed afloat whenever Texas and Oklahoma left for the SEC, which starts in 2024. The teams they're brought in and the teams they will continue to, to bring into their conference make them relevant. The ACC, they've got a grant of rights that keeps teams with them, at least for the future here, through 2036, unless they go back to the table with ESPN, but what's the incentive there if everything's status quo for the time being? And then, of course, SEC, Big Ten, they're leading, and we're waiting to see what happens with the other uh, uh, Pac-12 and the other teams there. Chad, this is, yes, I'm buying what he's saying. I don't know why more coaches don't just admit it publicly from what everyone knows is going to happen as far as governing bodies are concerned. There are certain, certain conferences that won't be able to pull off what the SEC and the Big Ten are able to do. And that's just based on the media rights and the money coming in. And then if you want to be a part of you know, what would be, I don't know if we'll call it Division One, but the Super Division One, 
Well, you're granted access based on the media deals that they have in place. But with the new grant of rights and the new deals in place for the SEC that goes into effect next year, CBS, Fox, NBC with the Big Ten, I'm not sure how that all plays out if, they're, if the super conference teams are going to have a, you know, a, a blend, so to speak, of a schedule. But that's, that is definitely going to be where we're going based on the fact that no one can stay put for very long. No, and I don't like it when media people you know, say, as you heard me state, or as I've said, you know, and, and kind of brag on themselves and pat themselves on the back. But I'm going to do that right here anyway. We've been saying this for four years, uh, Hutton and I, on any show that we've hosted, four or five years. We have consistently stated that what Kyle Whittingham is saying is going to be true. College football at the highest level will become an NFL-like model that will feature not 32, maybe 64. Just like he says, maybe 70, maybe 58. I don't know the exact number of programs, but there's going to be a central governing body that only looks at college football. There's going to be almost a professional-esque model to it. There's going to be more regulation on roster and what you can do. I do think there's going to eventually be some sort of option of going to school or not. I don't know how that looks in terms of employment or unionization and all of that, but it's going to a system of haves and have-nots. It's already been there, but now we're saying it honestly that there are haves and have-nots in college football. MTSU can't compete with Alabama from a financial standpoint, resources, history, facilities, everything. They can't do it. NIL is not this scary boogeyman that it is for everyone to all programs. They can handle it. They can pay the players on the side. They can get it done. What coaches ultimately don't want is to continue to have their job become more and more and more difficult. And that's what it is right now. They're NFL coaches, but NFL coaches, they're like teachers. No disrespect to teachers, but they're like teachers who have summers off compared to college coaches right now. How much better is it being an NFL coach than a college coach? You got a GM, you got a personnel department, you got a salary cap person, you've got everyone to handle all this. The college coach is left to handle everything and manage every part of it payments you- to players. Who's upset about NIL? Every part of recruiting down to 8th and ninth graders leading up to everyone in your program. Transfer portal. Who's in it on our side? Who's coming into it that we want from the other end of it? All of that. Now, they're paid very well, and they're not claiming that they're not, but they hate this because their job becomes murkier and murkier, and their responsibilities grow. And with that comes a lot of confusion. Well, uh, so, and, and you can't even run. I, you can't even run your players for discipline now. And I, yeah, exactly. I mean, exercise is punishment. Like, this was the one thing that I feel like every coach at every level's always had in their back pocket. Oh, you screwed up. Go run stairs. Right. Um, you missed eight free throws in that game. Guess what, little Timmy? You're going to run suicides now at the next practice. <laughs> I mean, we did this all through. Lo- you had to go shoot a one and one after you ran suicides. And if you missed the front end, you had two more suicides. If you made both, practice was over. Like, that's practice. That's exercise for punishment, for messing something up in practice if you missed a free throw. Like, this is not something new. That This is what come out of the, the Minnesota story. And we're digressing a little bit here. But that's the problem that college coaches have. 
I like that Kyle Whittingham at least is saying what we all, anyone who follows well, us knows. We had Hendon Hooker. We talked to him last week at SEC Media Days. Hutton, you asked what's going to happen with college football. And what was his immediate response? Super conference. Yeah, super conference is happening. But here's the one detail, though. The one thing that is, is tough to figure out is, if, and this is happening behind the scenes. There is no doubt in my mind Greg Sankey is leading the charge here. Tony Patetti leading the charge here behind the scenes. They want federal legislation to be set up for name, image, likeness, and just regulating the, the law instead of the rule that the NCAA doesn't enforce, they can't enforce. This, the detail that Whittingham says where he thinks it's, on, it's in the very near, near future, two to five years from now, that's, that's the part that I think is worthy of dissecting from what he's referring to instead of the, the long-term TV contracts that we're currently seeing. Because you will, Sankey and Patetti will be able to get the networks together. They will. And then we'll see what happens from the, the branch off in terms of how you're crowning a national champion and all of that. It will be the college version of the NFL at that point. Yeah, uh, David Griffin in our YouTube chat says a little bit about this. We're just talking about Petiti and Sankey can make this happen. He says, Joel Klatt says, there is a large pile of money that networks dedicate to live sports. The NFL gobbles up most of it, mm -hmm. leaving all other sports to fight over the rest. That is true. But the sports that are trying to gobble up the rest, those that are in trouble, the one we opened the show with, like the Pac-12, is having a hard time getting those scraps. Big Ten and SEC is not going to have that problem. No. The, the, those, those are two that are still going to be able to play ball at a high level with incoming media money. Now, is it going to be what it has been in the past? Maybe not exactly. Maybe it plateaus and it doesn't continue to go up. Maybe it goes down a tad, but they're still going to make a ton off media rights, off networks moving forward. So those are the conferences that are immune. College football is a sport that is immune to this because college football – in many ways, is America's second sport behind the NFL. So the money's going to be there for the top two conferences and Notre Dame. So when, when Texas and Oklahoma took their, their portion of what the Big 12 was making, which was a large sum, like what, 70% or something of the income of the conference, crazy. Uh, and that's counting everything that Texas had on their own. Uh, they did a, a very nice job of finding the right programs to fit their model to stay afloat. And they ended up getting 31 plus million dollars per school per year based on the new grant of rights and the media contract that they have. They brought in BYU, UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, and now Colorado. The Pac-12, meanwhile, Klyabikov and, and the conference is, you know, their response to Colorado bolting is they're going to embrace uh, conference expansion now. And I, I'm thinking, okay, who would that be? I mean, are you going after, if you just brainstorm for a moment, the Mountain West, San Diego State practically begged you to give them an offer, and you didn't. And you know, a month later, Colorado's leaving. That made sense to replace, you have the swap. Uh, Wyoming, uh, Boise, there are plenty of programs to choose from 
but that doesn't have the same bite that what the Big 12 went out and did when they did it. Plus, well, those programs the, fill out a schedule. Well, exactly. They fill out numbers and, you need in your conference. And, and coming up, there will be others from the Pac-12 that are going to leave. And, and then, then they're done. And there's no more Power 5 at that point. And it, there, there may not be now because the Pac-12 can't find anyone that actually cares enough to pay them to put them on air. Don't you agree Utah makes the most sense? Yes. For the, for the Big 12? Yes. But if you, Speaking of Whittingham? But if Oregon or Washington is truly interested... Based on the fact that if if what uh, but if I'm Oregon or Washington, if what, Hutton, I am holding out for the Big Ten. But what if if Jim Williams and his sources at Michigan and Penn State, what they said was they're going to wait to see how the transition goes with USC and UCLA, and they're going to monitor the NBC contract with Notre Dame, and then they'll potentially look back and see, okay, who are we considering, and is, is the timing right? And it, it, Jim mentioned on Twitter, he's like, that, that tells me that Oregon, Washington, they're not leaving for the Big Ten anytime soon. But as you see the conference that they're in and their value, why, why stay put with them if you can leave and go somewhere else? Again, I'm not sure what makes sense for the Big 12. I do know uh, Utah makes a ton of – Arizona, from the basketball standpoint, massive, and, then, uh, and regionally. And then if you get Oregon, you're getting the brand – well, I think Utah or Arizona, if they jump to the Big 12, my reaction would be, nice job, Big 12. That makes sense. Makes sense for the other school, too. Right. If Oregon or Washington bolts for the Big 12, my response would be, good Lord. You have just raided their top dogs well, that and, are left over. And, they and got- that is a huge coup and a grand slam <laughs> home run for the Big 12 because... Those programs are geographically isolated in the Pacific Northwest. They both have long-standing relationships as members in good standing of the Pac-12 and every other iteration of what that conference has been called. And they're the top two names you hear for future Big Ten expansion. So I wouldn't bemoan the move. It would also feel like an intermediary. Like you're moving to the Big 12 to take what's best right now in front of you in hopes that either the Pac-12 can figure it out, which they wouldn't without you, or you get invited to the Big Ten. So in that case, I can understand them saying, we'll take whatever the money is here in this next media deal and then lay it out and see if we can join the Big Ten at some point, if I'm Oregon and Washington, not if I'm Arizona and Utah. Well, and then I'm going now if I'm one of them. And then consider Brett Yormark's passionate about pitching UConn to the presidents and chancellors. I, I, there are multiple reports about that. And the fact in June, it's already been confirmed that they were vetting UConn along with Colorado. So if you get them and you get the other corner of the Northwest, you, you have teams in every corner of the United States at that point. I see that move and I know that's what he wants. And I understand the value of a, a Northeastern you know, New York City adjacent type program like UConn. UConn basketball, I hate this for them. To leave their conference with all of their rivals, and now your biggest conference rivals are going to be West Virginia and Cincinnati, I guess, in a a new – and then the football program is going to get slaughtered. It I would mean, be, it would maybe, be about hoops. maybe it does elevate them and they can get better recruits now and well, then compete. 
But how has that gone for Rutgers since joining the Big Ten in football? But if we're, They've sucked throughout. But if you're making a super conference and you're trying to own everything else other than what the SEC and Big Ten hold, that's a move you make. But it's, it's for something that he knows is going on behind the scenes. I don't like it. And UConn would jump for that too. For we'll what's going on behind the scenes. Coming up, we dive back into Northwestern and Mario Cristobal and a former Broncos offensive lineman in Sean Payton. Coming up in just about 20 minutes, Brett McMurphy joins us with the latest on Colorado to the Big 12 and what now for the Pac-12. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad, uh, better leadership, and I'm talking just from the very top, Pac-12 or Northwestern with the president, Michael Schill. Ooh, this is quite the selection. <laughs> I'm going to go Pac-12. <coughs> I think both suffer from arrogance, and that's what gets them beat. So, yeah. There is something in the studio, by the way, that is just choking me out every single day. I get in here. It's like a sawdust I, I, sensation in my throat that I have I every day. I too, right there. I'm, I apologize. Um, um, no, I, I think both suffer from a bit of arrogance, and that's been their problem. Well, and also just assuming things uh, that just aren't going to – fall in their favor, you know, a week later, a month later, a year later. Um, bizarre uh, language here. And maybe this is just buyout language that they're uh, skirting around, maybe. So Jim Foster, the baseball coach at Northwestern, also fired. And I'm using that term, even though Northwestern's trying to clarify it. Pat Fitzgerald was fired. And uh, baseball coach Jim Foster, he's out too. But the, the Daily Northwestern, who's doing a great job, we need to get someone on from that paper. Um, they're, they're now saying, based on a, a conversation with Michael Schill, the president of Northwestern, he was not fired, which had been reported by many outlets, including the Daily, the Daily Northwestern. President Michael Schill told the Daily, told the Daily that Foster had been placed on, quote-unquote, indefinite suspension. Okay, so I'm going to pause right here. Just remember, indefinite suspension. Quote, he wasn't fired. He won't be coaching again. What? Indefinite suspension, like in just perpetuity now? Like he's just going to sit around and never Is be. Is he like an adjunct professor now? Is he professor emeritus at Northwestern University? They're but, just going to pay him, but he won't be coaching? Yeah, but why? Because he's not fired, but he's well, still you just an employee? reassign him, but indefinite suspension, but he wasn't fired, but he's not coaching again. Again. What? And this is Derek Gregg's hire, which he admits he regrets. And he Michael should also Schill regret has, this double glasses look that he had. Michael, that photo Michael of yeah, Jim Foster. Jim Foster. Michael Schill said that it hasn't even been brought up that Gregg will be fired. But again, like, what is going on there? And the the lack of just the PR savvy to explain yourself at the time. I mean, I, I think that they've. They're now so petrified of lawsuits that this has got to be a contractual. They thing. have to just say things that make no sense because the lawyers are in on it now, and are they firing him with cause or not? Yeah, they're trying to make sure they can do that. So he's saying he's fired, but not technically fired yet, 
until our team of attorneys gives us the green light to say he's fired for cause or how we're going to pay him off to leave or if we're going to pay him off to leave. Or it may just be better to indefinitely suspend him, pay him what we were paying him in some way, and then avoid the lawsuit that we're going to face from him that, oh, by the way, we're also going to be facing a lawsuit from Pat Fitzgerald because he's already said he's going to be suing us. It's a complete dumpster fire mess. And then Derek Gragg, the AD, has excerpts from a book that he wrote with other people apparently six years ago that are now controversial. But Northwestern hired him knowing this book was out there, and I'm guessing having seen it and read it, it's a odd situation throughout. Well, he had a book in 2015 called uh, – women man's greatest distraction where he called women man's greatest distraction he also discussed booty shaking sex kittens that's the quote i i read the full excerpt there's nothing controversial about what he said well it, I, i'm i'm here to tell you this like well, I, everyone nicole arbach but, can can be offended all she wants and the athletic can be offended by it i read it i don't see anything offensive about it because what he's talking about are men try? He said that he feels bad for women that debase themselves to a level and don't respect themselves, and then they do this because they're trying to get the attention of men. But how men should always respect women, and even if they are doing this in front of you, you should still respect them. There's very little controversial. Like you can clip that part and say booty shaking, sex kittens, or whatever, and then there's this some. And he's, he, I think grass that, oh, well, now this is what he thinks about all women. He brought that up on uh, based on music videos and how they portray women. Yes. As that. And when he's talking about women as men's greatest distraction, he's discussing this. It's not in the context of all women are nothing but a distraction to men. There's nothing like that in the book. It's, it's in context with what he's talking about with this. Women can be men's greatest distraction, which is true. By the way, what he wrote in the book is not false. There's a lot of truths in what he wrote. This guy should be fired because he's an idiot and because he's done a poor job at Northwestern and they need to clean house and start over. He does not need to be fired because what was written in this book six years ago. All their recent and I, hires I, I, would be I hope fired Northwestern comes out and says that. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't that big, big of a deal. Well, I mean, Sorry. but just going back to the baseball coach, uh, he was let go for bullying and abusive behavior allegations. And now he's just on indefinite suspension. I hope he didn't write a book while he was at West Point. Well, that's Michael, really going to be I'm used sure against Michael him. Michael Schill will be writing one. Yeah, that, that book's going to be used against him. Mario Cristobal goes after the uh, social media tough guys. And he's, he's saying that in this context from media days where the Miami coach is speaking to media, um, the social media tough guys who always complain about NIL and the transfer portal without having any solution. Chad, what were we talking about last week with Shannon Terry and, and Grant Furking? Oh, it was this week. So, excuse me, earlier this week. Um, at, the and weeks from all run SC, together And now. from SEC media days where – there's a lot of complaining, and that's not just social media. It's coming from coaches, too. There's no solution. There, there is, there's no offer for what could be versus what they have right now. I, so I think, there's, there's trying, I think we're trying to link up Cristobal's comments to Lane Kiffin as far as the social media tough guys. 
But by the uh, by and large, his complaints have been to the media publicly and not on social. His stuff with Feinbaum has been back and forth, but I don't think he's directly talking about some of the coaches as much as it is everyone on social media-wise and, and fans, although I haven't seen many fans that hate this, complaining about NIL and, and the portal in general. Yeah, and may, maybe and I, the system. I didn't hear the entire interview, so apologies if I'm incorrect on this. I, I had a hard time linking coaches to what he's saying. Oh, yeah, I know. But, about <clears throat> this with social media tough guys because all the coaches – have said this mostly in the media other than Kiffin, who will tweet about it. I know Kiffin went back at Paul Feinbaum about this when Paul Feinbaum criticized him and, and went hard after him. So some of the coaches have tweeted certain things about it, but mainly it's when they're asked about it. In media availability, they'll talk about it and say the problems with it and what they don't like. It really boils down to coaches, ADs, school presidents, people that run the NCAA have lost power. And they want to get a lot of that power back. They also want to understand the rules and regulations, or if there are any, and move forward. But they ultimately want that power back that they had before that they don't have. Mario Cristobal is saying, stop talking and do. If you've got a solution, go about doing it. If not, it's just smoke in the air, and none of it really matters. But Mario Cristobal isn't offering a solution, and I don't know that he wants a solution. I don't think he does. Based on what he's saying, he's like, hey, let's just deal with it. We're going to work in the space that we're in right now, and if there are no regulations, fine. There's nothing that's going to stop us from being relevant as a football program again. Well, I, I applaud this approach by him. It goes back to the universities that allowed their athletic programs to embrace the free-for-all the day it happened, July 1st, 2021. Tennessee comes to mind. Of course, the Texas schools, the state laws there are embracing it to a much larger degree than across the country. And then at Florida with Ruiz, uh, excuse me, Miami in, in, with Ruiz is there. They embraced it immediately too. So, uh, Christo, it's the coaches, the coaches that love this are coaching at universities that have had this going for a couple of years. Meanwhile, everyone else is trying to catch up because it's not going away anytime soon. Chad, uh, neither is the, the feud between, uh, well, Sean Payton and the NFL world who he's put on blast. He's roasting practically everyone or any, anything uh, regarding the, the gambling policy to the job that Nathaniel Hackett did a year ago. Worst coaching job in history. Anything that took place last year, we're going to do the opposite. Uh, he's since apologized for uh, his, the way he came across. And how did he compare it? He thought he was not the head coach. but Yeah, I think we'll probably have video of this a little bit later. I'm guessing, and um, but he basically said, I, I had my Fox hat on, and uh, I, I immediately regret it. We'll talk more about it later, because I do want to hear exactly what he had to say, but um, the bummer of all of this is we thought we were getting a truly honest NFL coach, and one day later we realized we're not going to get that. We're going to get more cliche machines. Well, I, don't, I still think he's going to be honest. Uh, Gruden was on. This reminds me of Gruden. Gruden, uh, the, the media analyst versus Gruden, the head coach. And I, Peyton's still going to tell it like it is. Um, how can, he, he can't walk. Everyone agreed with practically everything he said, by the way, about how horrific it was a year except ago. Except for one guy. Well, the multi, well except for the Jets at that locker room where Nathaniel Hackett's the offensive coordinator. Offensive lineman Billy Turner 
uh, he's now with the Jets. He is a great friend of Nathaniel Hackett, like knows the entire family practically. And he has been with him from the Packers to the Broncos, now the Jets. And he called, so he called uh, Sean Payton an effing bum. And mentioned Bounty Gate. Many, uh, hashtag Bounty, 2012 Bounty Gate. Bounty Gate. On, a, on a tweet. Uh, it, it's outstanding, quite frankly. Uh, so, so were the comments by Sean Payton. But he called out Payton on in, in, the, the full tweet is seems like someone started training camp is trying to soften the blow after realizing what he's in for this season. Effing bomb. Hashtag bounty gate. That's not a, a ringing endorsement of what Peyton's inheriting there exactly. in Denver. He's exactly. saying, yeah, the team sucks. The ownership sucks. The whole place sucks. So good luck. Now he realizes so, that and he's going to take shots at the coach before to soften whatever's going to come and say, oh, I'm just cleaning up a mess. You know what I think he's apologizing for, really? And we'll hear it later without directly saying it. He, he also mentioned the general manager and the president of the team that allowed some of the policies that were in place versus what he's doing now. I don't think he regrets what he said about Nathaniel Hackett. He, he mentioned he didn't know him. Well, the guys in the front office, I mean, you can tell based on the comments that were made to Jarrett Bell, um, who's running things, who's, who's the decision maker, Sean Payton, based on the contract he just received. And in regards to George Payton or other executives for the Broncos, he's like, yeah, we, they didn't even let Russell Wilson bring his personal quarterback coach here. And that, uh, shame on us, <laughs> uh, to use his term from the, the gambling policy from earlier in the week. Yeah, I, I think he also probably saw that if I say things like this and be this brutally honest and go after someone – this does open the door a little bit for my players to do that, and it's not the precedent I want to set to go scorched earth to this level. Probably not an example I want to lay out there for them to also think they can do, and that's why he wanted to wipe the slate clean a little bit with uh, this apology today, but the words have been said. We well, know what he truly thinks. And wipe the slate. I think that's what he did with his locker room, though. He put the blame on who's not there, not who remains. Specifically, Russell Wilson. But I, he, part of the blame, though, is in the front office, which he referenced vaguely. Well, he's also setting the standard of expectation to be playoffs. Yeah, he said, I'm going to be pissed off if we don't go to the playoffs. With, so with this roster. That's a message to your locker room saying, you were good enough to be in the playoffs. You should have been there last year had you had sound leadership. Well, guess what? New boss is in town. You've got sound leadership. We're going to the playoffs. That's what he's trying to get across to his team. Yeah, no more uh, Mr. Nice Guy's a coach that was there a year ago. He came in and changed a lot of things. Social media team, he put on blast as well. With They're out. Broncos. Yeah. They're out. Brett McMurphy joins us next. Conference realignment and what's next for the Pac-12 and Big 12.